Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Cassandra Lewis has the voice of an angel and a fascinating story to tell. She cut her teeth singing as a kid in old folks' homes, bounced all around the country, and yet did not release her first album until just now, in her mid-30s. Not only did she release her first album, but she then immediately signed her first major label record deal. We will find her in Nashville, Tennessee, in the midst of a whirlwind round of writing songs for this new major label record she's making right now. It's an interesting, nay, fascinating perspective. Nobody else has a story quite like this, and I'm so glad that I got to meet and pick the brain of Cassandra Lewis for this Wheels Off. I think you're going to love uh, hearing her talk, and I think you will appreciate in the middle of this, she busts out a little bit of a song. She just sings, because that is what she does, and she sings like a bird. You'll get to hear a little uh, taste of her vocal stylings in the midst of this interview. But I'm really glad that I got to meet her, speak with her for this the newest Wheels Off. Please welcome Cassandra Lewis. Welcome to Wheels Off, Cassandra Lewis. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, for the edification of the listening audience, from where are you logging in? I'm coming in from Nashville, Tennessee right now. Woo! Yes. Now, where did you grow up? Because I, I was under the impression you were from Portland, just because some press I read had said you were, but you were just living there during the pandy. Yeah, I I I grew up all over the place, mostly in like southeast Idaho, Wyoming border, um, wow. California. I split a lot of my time uh, between California and Idaho and just the West Coast, mostly the West. I was born in Germany and army brat, so I moved a uh, lot. Yeah. And how long have you been in Nashville? Uh, three months. No, oh, wow. So it's, yeah. Ew, nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's different for sure over here, but I like it. A lot. The food is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Um, so what creative project are you working on right now, Cassandra? And how does it light you up? Oh, boy. Well, I pretty much as soon as I got here, I started working on this new record with Dave Cobb and Electra Low Country Sound. Um, it's a new partnership for us, though I just released another album like Basically, the day that the day before I got to Nashville, I dropped the other album and then started working on this one. So uh, it definitely lit me up in uh, in that I have not written with like done co-writes before with other people. Like the Nashville scene, the co-writing scene is really something. Like 
put you in tiny rooms. You've got four hours to, you know, hopefully channel whatever you're, you're trying to pull through. And, um, I've been very lucky to have had a pretty significant heartbreak right before I left. So plenty of material. Um, I'm not sure it's going to light me up even as much as it might light him up, but. <laughs> oh my God. That's hilarious. Yeah. And how, how see now this is, this is me wanting to get into the nitty gritty of those um, music row sessions. Okay. How do you approach those songwriting sessions? Do you go in with a notebook and pieces bits and pieces, or do you go blank slate? You know, it's been, I actually have one today right after this. Mm. Um, so I'm, it's, it's the first few were, were like, I don't really know what I'm doing. I feel like an imposter and, or the first, you know, couple. And, and uh, it's, it just kind of how it sounds. You, you walk in, maybe you've got some ideas, you sort of sit there awkwardly, never having met these people before. And, you know, some of them are like your heroes. You're like, okay, well, you know, I'm just, I, I, this is what I'm going through. And this is, uh, this is kind of the mood that I'm in and either I have like words, I sort of just start telling my story and it like begins to unfold in that way. And then we kind of realize what the song's supposed to be about. And then we just, it works for me to be more on one-on-one -on -one, I noticed instead of the group sessions, just because yeah. we can connect easier. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's all a little bit different. It seems like the whole thing comes together in the last hour really. And, before that, it's a lot of silence and then a lot of talking about absolutely nothing that has to do with the song. Just, it kind of, it just has magically unfolded. And um, I haven't written them all, you know, the whole album isn't isn't written with other people, but it's been such a, such a challenge to like, you know, know that it, I need structure in some way to, you know, get through this, this short period of, um, of, uh, kind of integration here. So it, it works differently for each person, I guess, is the answer it, to that. It sounds like an, an intense experience, sort of what you're doing right now. Yeah, I mean, the, the idea is, you know, these are very busy songwriters and performers. And like, I'm working with Natalie Hemby right now, who is a, a very prominent songwriter, and particularly in my, like, favorite genre, she wrote Crowded House and like stuff with the high women and a lot of other people. And so I was super nervous going in with her and, but she's just such an angel. And so like we connected really well. And I think that's what it comes down to is just connection. And if, and if we're really like listening to each other and, and willing to, to go deep on the subject. And um, I, yeah, I've just been very lucky to make some very good connections and friends in the first little chunk of time. Well, so. it's funny you say that. I, I think that, that's probably the giant part of it, right? Listening to, because when we're alone writing songs, you have to listen to yourself. You have to realize, yeah. oh, that that thing that that he said to me, that could uh -huh. be a song or whatever. But now you're speaking with someone else and you get the bonus of them hearing it for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And and really having to make sure that the that your ideas stand up against themselves and like, or the potential of something better it's kind of I was super against writing with other people for the longest time and I'm just being a brat or whatever you know I don't know like a purist or like my form but um I really I really appreciate getting to see the value of of two minds coming together and helping you it's like having a therapist really you know you're sitting there and you can't often see your life 
through the lens it requires to like actually grow or heal all the time you know maybe if you're really doing the work a lot but with a song you know it's a lot it's a lot easier to like see if it's being received by people because the point is to have your message come across right you know and and so that's the only way to really test it is to have another person <laughs> have other people listening to it and and uh challenging it so it's been really interesting yeah god that's so great i can't wait to hear these songs yeah they're they've come out really really amazing i couldn't have i couldn't have hoped for a better like slew <laughs> yeah and to be to be challenged to do that i feel like probably takes a lot of bravery it's something you've never done you're outside of your comfort zone you're going in like you said with people maybe you really know them and admire their work it's it seems like something that could be really scary and yet you're doing it did it feel like a, a big leap um it did at first i mean the first write that i had was with aaron ray mm -hmm. though and if you know who that is he is uh an absolute hilarious musical he's so he's a wordsmith in the in the countryest sense, if that's if I could say that correctly, he's just he's hilarious. And when we banter, it, it was very easy for us because we were, you know, we just we banter in a similar way. We every every line is an idea, every everything we see is an idea, and then the melodies just kind of feel natural to you know they come through. We're very good at starting stuff. We just can't finish. <laughs> we just haven't finished anything. So maybe we need like a somebody a, th a third on that one to the structure because we're just having so much fun that it's hard to get ideas through so i don't um two squirrels in a hurricane but um yeah i mean it's intimate he he kind of broke me into the thing and then going into my next rights i was like oh maybe they're all going to be like that and you know some were harder than others and um i mean i can honestly say i came out with a song each session so i feel i feel good about that you know, and, and for for the record, none of them were called two squirrels in a hurricane, right? <laughs> no, no, I, I wouldn't want to rip off two sparrows, you know. So you know that song, you remember? <laughs> no, because now I wanted to write two squirrels in a hurricane, but it... <laughs> two sparrows in a hurricane. Nice. Who that? no? Who is that? Um, don't I, worry, I, I don't. I, we can Google it later. Tucker, I think. Okay, got you. That's beautiful. Damn. Yeah. How often do you do that? Because it happens to me where you write a song and you're like, oh, but this is actually that. Um, I've got a really weird brain that it, I, I feel like I can sense when it's kind of something else, even if it slightly resembles something else. And so I kind of stop myself from writing it. But I've been disappointed before, especially recently. I'm like, because you're trying to conjure up all brand new ideas and like four songwriting sessions a week. Okay. And you're like, oh, OK, well, I don't even know what um is me anymore and so frequently in uh i i feel like it's at least probably 30 30 percent of the time that at least something has already been done i mean look at it's music where <laughs> everything everything's recycled yeah. and just you're the only thing that's fresh about it so <laughs> so so during this nomadic childhood of yours obviously your voice is like that your actual singing voice is is a gift it seems pretty obvious when you when you start singing that you've got that going on i wonder for you did you know really early on that you wanted to be a performer that you wanted to be a songwriter was there an epiphany moment um 
there there were a couple i mean as a when i was really young i i just was very attracted to music and and music in movies really so i was i was very much a tv kid i had a lot of um just a, a lot of family issues and i would you know without going too far into that it just it's sort of the cliche story of having that be my escape and and into another world and being able to play a different character for even just a short time and so i uh i I watched movies and, and TV and wanted to be like those stars and thought that would be my escape and um, sort of started booking myself at our like little concerts in my basement with karaoke machine and that my grandparents had bought me and like little karaoke tapes of really classic songs, Patsy Cline. And, and like, I just love the old stuff that one of the first performances I did was at a retirement home in Idaho Falls, Idaho, called Lincoln Court. And I just, <laughs> I was singing like Unchained Melody and all this stuff, thinking I'm nailing it, eight years old, and uh, just called them out of the phone book. And and from that like performance, it sort of ignited my whole like journey to uh, through my, at least until I was 16. And then I, I was burned out and quit music <laughs> at 16. The whole, the hero's journey from <laughs> to 15 strung out on heroin. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but. So I, um, I saw a music video that you directed and obviously star in. And mm-hmm. I wonder, was that part of something you thought about doing acting, directing, like filmmaking? Yeah. Um, because of my love for, for movies and just the cinematic way that, I, I like writing music. I feel like when I listen to music, I see colors and and pictures um, and it just it feels natural to have those two medias um, mediums like blended together. So I, I really I want to work with Tarantino. I want to I want to do definitely venture into like interesting um, f- interesting filmmaking and like juxtaposition of, of music and media or visual media. So, yes. Short answer. Well, that video is great. It's it's so visually just juicy and fascinating. Thank you. Um, so cool. So uh, you were talking about going into these songwriting sessions and experiencing moments of um, feeling like an imposter, and and that comes up a lot in these conversations. You know the. Um, on the list of internally generated obstacles, that imposter sy- syndrome is towards the top. Um, Roseanne Cash talked about success guilt. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people talk about um, the negative voices in their head that, you know, that they sort of develop in childhood and that follow them throughout their lives. I wonder when you are encountered by those sort of negative uh, internal influences, how do you deal with that? What have you figured out in terms of strategies to get past that? Hmm. That's a, that's the big struggle, isn't it? The starving artist trope uh, that you have to be in pain to make stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not, I, I guess I should have asked if I'm allowed to talk about earthly medicines. I'll just say, yeah, yeah, of course. Plant medicines have helped me a lot with come with overcoming myself and those obstacles. I'm a, a 
you know, I've, I've struggled with crippling social anxiety and, and, you know, just childhood PTSD, uh, abandonment things my whole life. And so even though I, I sort of had started out playing this kind of character on stage, uh, it was like a coping mechanism really for what was happening with me internally. And, um, people would expect the same person off stage. And while it was an aspect of me, I think, um, you know, I wasn't really for the longest time able to, to fully, you know, to be vulnerable the way that I wanted to. So through, through like really deep diving into the source of those, those traumas and those fear fears and just getting, honestly, just getting angry enough and like passionate enough to, to move through it and, and um, really try to help other people who have, who've struggled in similar ways. I think through the, through my community and I have such an amazing like music community and like a really rich culture of, of like healing and growing. And um, again, with the use of plant medicines, I've helped, I've been able to overcome a good portion of that, you know, fear and just kind of show up. I get, I, you know, I have to, I, you have to show up to something. Right. Um, and it might as well be for, for, uh, you know, the thing that you, that you love the most so that you feel the most connected to. So. And, and you love what you love, what you do. You love making music. It's, it's like, um... I, love it I absolutely hate it. And I love it again. <laughs> and it's such a, it's, I wouldn't say it's a toxic relationship. It's like a definitely it's like a soulmate situation. I, I, you know, every time I try to leave it and do something else that's safer or that feels more secure, it just, I always get sucked back in the universe <clears throat> slaps the shit out of me yeah. um, and like pulls me back on track. So, I mean, I guess it's, it's supposed to be happening. Things sometimes go faster than you know, certain, certain times go faster than others, but we're in a, we're in a water slide right now. So I've got to follow it and <laughs> believe that it's for me, you know, believe that I belong here. Otherwise, why would I be here? You know? Well, that's great. I mean, boy, that's, that sounds like a strategy to me is just be- believe that you, if you're suffering from, like you said, feeling like an imposter, when you walk into the room, you just have to believe that you belong in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's, a, a you know, 20% faking it and, <laughs> And just like, like I've got this mug, this grandma mug, my nickname, Grammy. <laughs> I had to develop the whole character, just like I said, to to be able to like interact with people and the way that I kind of wanted to. It was more of an extreme version, but yeah, kind of whatever you can do to start getting yourself comfortable with in your body, feeling feeling through it and, and pushing through that anxiety and panic until you, you know, sing those first few notes and get it out tell stories, like be the kind of performer that you need to be instead of the one that you really want to be. And I, people connect to that. I think a lot deeper because it's real. That's so funny that um, you talk about the starving artist trope. And at the beginning of, of our talk just now, you said, Oh, I was lucky enough to have my heart broken right before I moved here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, What fortune. Yes. It, it, it's funny though how the tropes that surround what we what we do, and 
how sometimes they're fake, right? Like I think the idea that you have to be, you know, completely off the rails and doing, you know, massive amounts of whatever drug to be like oh. a truly brilliant artist, like that's clearly false. Yeah. But the, I, I do wonder about the idea that you are more productive when you're in agony or whatever, like, cause that's something I want to be wrong, but it keeps proving itself over and over again to be true somehow. Yeah. Well, I think we're just the closest to the source when we are in the absence of the thing we desire the most, uh, which is, or we're, we're at least the, we're, facing it it's not that we're the closest to it it's really that we're we're just like we're seeing the finish line but we can't reach it or something seeing if you look up when you're climbing the mountain you know you can see it and it feels then it like it's a million miles away um instead of just keeping your head forward and and focusing on what you're doing um it's the pain is a portal you know just like intoxicating love can be a portal you know people write love songs as much as they write heartbreak songs so it, it must be coming from the same place you know somewhere in in the soul it they had the important parts at least of the soul yeah i, w I wonder if something you said that's um <laughs> the fact that when you're focused on something like that, well, you just described it as being when you're fo focused on something, when you're reaching for something. I mm -hmm. wonder if being in that state uh, takes away the self-consciousness that otherwise would inhibit you. And so like, and, and it would work both ways, right? If you're heartbroken and you're just so focused on that, or if you're falling in love intensely and you're so focused on that, you don't mm -hmm. have the space to be thinking about well what about me do i look stupid do i sound whatever like all that self-consciousness that gets in the way yeah. Could, is that is that it maybe I, it's that's that's we're we're digging into something there <laughs> you know we're getting to the we're getting to the nitty-gritty here uh i'm trying to tie together the pieces that like relate for me to like psychedelics for example or sure. you know and then also love and that source connection and it's, it's, it's so, um, God, I really hope I can jump on this train here. Um, oh no. Is it something about being out of your own head so that you're not in your own head worrying? Right. Right. Like, because that's oh, yeah. what. Do you lose the self-consciousness? I think, I think all of your fears come up at once really. And you're, it's like a fight or flight thing. And so with loss, you're willing to, you feel like you have less to lose. So you're willing to, you know, to you're more of a desperate, it's like a desperate world leader pushing their big red button. You know, they're like, yeah. this is my last, why not? You know, so I might as well go for it. But then when you're in love, you have everything to lose. And so I don't, I don't know that it comes from like a lack of uh, self-consciousness. It's more of like the consciousness of like, Oh my God, I have this much left like i need to save it i need to preserve it. i think it's i think it's an animalistic thing unless we can kind of get control of the of those emotions and decide how you feel about it which is really the mastery of of the human experience but um you know we're all we're all trying to get there but through our humble you know primitive song making that's about as close as we can get sometimes to to like whatever that higher power 
feeling or like the soul spirit calling is in, in love and in loss. I think they come from the same place, which hopefully we can grow through and not have it just be like sourced out of fear. Cause I think that's the problem with a lot of, a lot of connection and a lot of um, the way we operate in like our sort of uh, nuclear family society. So um, scarcity or uh, scarcity mentality. There's a lot of elements that kind of bring us to that desperate state. And I could be wrong. That's the, that's the, what's coming to me at least when I'm in those spaces of creation. I think you're right on. And I mean, I know for, for something that comes up a lot is the idea that we as songwriters, and, and then this actually extends to other media as well, but artists are always, let's say songwriters, we're always writing the same song over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think for me, it, it, it's something about abandonment. Like, please mm. don't leave. Please don't leave. Like, maybe that's my song I write over and over again. I mean, you brought up abandonment earlier. It's just what made me think yeah. of it. But uh, I think you're onto something here. Yeah. Well done. Well, I hope so. Otherwise, what the? <laughs> I hope so. After 35, 25 years of <laughs> <laughs> world domination. No. Um, uh, so I'm speak- learning. Speaking of wisdom and perspective and learning, I wonder if you could try and sort of uh, distill some of that wisdom into imagining a 21-year-old version of yourself working in today's world, living in today's world, um, mm-hmm. and you encounter her, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, I remember her. <laughs> I remember her. I would I would tell her to... Uh, um, God, you know, there's a million things I would want to say to her. First of all, stop drinking Cosmopolitans with a sugar rim. And uh, (laughs) like should have switched to Mezcal earlier. Um, And also, you know, don't let let yourself feel your feelings um, all the way through. All the way through until you have exhausted like any possibility of that thing getting stuck in your body. Um, because, you know, it just, it living off of, of fear and then just like allowing that to control my life at that time is what took me so long, you know, is what caused me to take so long. And, and even putting out my first album, like I, I worked hard. It's not that I was like out of it, you know, but I, I kept, I kept quitting and, and for a good reason, like it's very difficult to make it work as a musician in general. And then having to like also work through trauma and then being the most important thing in my life being love and connection and, and like the idea of this partnership, you know, the grand partnership and the rocking chairs, you know, and turning to dust together, like my fixation on love and like the, like this, monogamous or other, you know, long-term style of relationship kept me from doing the thing that made me the most authentic version of myself, therefore probably robbing myself of the true connection that I was seeking anyway. So I would tell myself to pull my head out of my ass and not, and stop dating people, you know, just to try and find someone to be with forever and to stop pacifying my feelings until, and, and like truly feeling them. 
in short. <laughs> <laughs> There's no in short with me. That's why I told Mark, I was like, we're going to need at least an hour for that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Sorry, you know, but... I, I didn't hold your feet to the fire earlier about about I think there's something really interesting about your story that you had stops and starts and and took a little while before you put music out into the world. And mm-hmm. and you just described it a little bit. You you sort of got hung up doing other s- stuff. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Toxic relationships. Uh, I, you know, and other things. I just I have such an interest in creation in general you know i love making things out of garbage i love i love collecting vintage clothing i do i mean i'm a trash artist i make and that's including relationships i make songs out of trash <laughs> out of tra- i make treasure out of trash or like you know find the beautiful in the you know the beautiful things in the things that have been destroyed and um that's that's always kind of been my way so i as an ADHD person who really like hyper fixates on subjects and like passions that I, I allowed those other things to take precedent, including like love over, over my music when that didn't seem as, as easy, or it felt like something I was holding for me. I was keeping it for me. Like I needed there to be something that was just mine. And like I said, when I quit, I was 15 years old. Cause I was burned out. Like I couldn't go to a family function without singing. Like I was the mall, like the Walmart yodeler. Like that was me. That was my life. <laughs> and I had heard Martin Sexton. I think I've told this story before in interviews, but I heard Martin Sexton's black sheep in uh, Jackson hole, Wyoming around a pool table, hanging out with my dad's much older friends. And I heard it and it just buckled me and it was so good. I just laid on the ground and just started crying, listening to it. And I now know that to be like my first psychedelic experience, though I wasn't on any any substances or anything, uh, any medicines. And and so I said, if I couldn't make something like that, I couldn't make people feel like that, then I didn't want to do it at all. And so I quit and until I found my voice. And I'd been kind of copying people for a while. I was like a mockingbird instead of myself. And uh, if I didn't, if it doesn't feel authentic and like real to me, then I, it like, I'm, I really feel grossed out and like physically I can't, I can't do it. I can't, you know, I, I can clown around and play and, and be a characters, but there's still an aspect of me in in all of that. And so, you know, that's essentially why I had this psychedelic awakening at like 26 and then really, really started believing myself <laughs> when I would, when I would sing and when I would, when I was saying, I believed myself and I fell in love with myself for the first time in a mirror, which you're not really supposed to do, you know, but that's, that's kind of the, the stretched out version of, of that like journey. It took, I've been performing since I was, yeah, eight years old in like publicly I'm 35 now and just got a record deal. So it's, and as soon as I put my record out too, so, I mean, if that gives you any hope, like to, to align with your path, I would say, you know, fucking go for it. I love that. And and I think it's a great example of the, the reality that there's no one way to do it. You know, I think that's beautiful. Certainly not. Yeah, certainly not. It was weird. And, and- <laughs> it was weird. For what it's worth, that might be a good starting uh, point for your songwriting session that you have later today. Was it uh, Trash Into Treasure? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a song. 
I know, right? They all every every line, every, I know. every song. <laughs> yep. Well, Cassandra, I'm so excited to hear what you come up with and next. And I just I I'm really grateful that you took the time to sit down and share all this with us. Um, thank you very much. Thank you, Rhett. It was so sweet to get to meet you. I'm I'm honored and yeah, hope to uh, hope to get to see you again, see you live sometime. I know. I, I hope our paths cross in real life soon. Take take care of yourself. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.